Welcome to Pearl Diving, a Knitter's Pillowcast. Come on in, the water's fine. Episode 11, The Knitter's Madeline. I've been thinking lately about French writer Marcel Proust's Madeleine, the idea of sensory experiences involving sights, smells, tastes, sounds, touch, that trigger a memory of an earlier time, a lost time, a pastime buried deep in our unconscious. Here's a bit of that passage from the book In Search of Lost Time. And suddenly the memory came to me. The taste was that of the little morsel of madeleine which on Sunday mornings at Combray, because on those mornings I did not go out before Mass, when I went to say good day to her in her bedroom, my Aunt Leonie used to give me, dipping it first in her own cup of tea or of limeflower tisane. The sight of the little madeleine had recalled nothing before I tasted it, perhaps because, having frequently seen them without tasting them on the trays in pastry shops, that their image had dissociated itself from those Combray days to take its place among others more recent. Perhaps because of those memories, so long abandoned and put out of mind, nothing now survived, everything was scattered. The forms of things, including that of the little scallop shell of pastry, so richly sensual under its severe religious folds, were either obliterated or had been so long dormant as to have lost the power of expansion which would have allowed them to resume their place in my consciousness. But when from a long distant past nothing subsists, after the people are dead, after the things are broken and scattered, still, alone, more fragile, but with more vitality, more unsubstantial, more persistent, more faithful, the smell and taste of things remain poised a long time, like souls ready to remind us, waiting and hoping for their moment amid the ruins of all the rest, and bear on faltering in the tiny and almost impalpable drop of their essence, the vast structure of recollection. And once I had recognized the taste of the crumb of madeleine soaked in her decoction of lime flowers which my aunt used to give me, although I did not yet know and must long postpone the discovery of why this memory made me so happy. Immediately the old grey house upon the street where her room was rose up like the scenery of a theatre to attach itself to the little pavilion, opening onto the garden, which had been built out behind it for my parents, the isolated panel which until that moment had been all that I could see. And with the house, the town, from morning to night and in all weathers, the square where I was sent before luncheon, the streets along which I used to run errands, the country roads we took when it was fine. And just as the Japanese amuse themselves by filling a porcelain bowl with water and steeping in it little crumbs of paper which until then are without character or form, but, the moment they become wet, stretch themselves and bend, take on color and distinctive shape, become flowers or houses or people, permanent and recognizable. So in that moment all the flowers in our garden and in Mr. Swan's park and the water lilies on the Vivonne and the good folk of the village and their little dwellings and the parish church and the whole of Combray and of its surroundings, taking their proper shapes and growing solid, sprang into being, town and gardens alike, from my cup of tea. So I read that passage from Proust and I got thinking. 
what would a knitter's Madeline be? That is, what would be the equivalent sensory experience that would take a knitter back in time that would unlock a knitting memory? I realized recently that what appeals to me most about knitting, more than the fiber, more than the color or texture or pattern, what appeals to me best is the rhythm of it. I don't enjoy intarsia because I can't find a rhythm in it. I prefer a lace or ferrule pattern with an easily memorized repeat because, wait for it, I like the rhythm of it. And I was sitting knitting one evening, and the knitting was humming along, and suddenly I knew why rhythm was so important to me. It unveils the one knitting memory I have of being a very small child, under six, because this would have been before my sister was born, and sitting next to my mother on the sofa while she knit. I used to lean right up against her right arm, and she knit English style. So I would feel comforted by the motion of it as she worked so I could hear the tick-tick of the needles as they met every time she worked a stitch, a kind of tiny knitting percussion section providing the work with its own beat. I remember the sound of her voice as she gently chided me to give her some space so she could work, because if I leaned on her too heavily, she herself couldn't make the rhythm of the knitting happen. I didn't realize that then, but I do now, so many, many years later. That was Gambomaniac Ralph Rousseau Monenbrecht with the Jig Langloise Suite in G Minor composed by Marin Marais. So, there it is, my knitting Madeleine. Am I the only knitter out there to have one, or is it possible that you have one too? If you do, and you'd like to share it, I would be delighted to read it on a future episode of Pearl Diving. Um, if you'd like to record it yourself... You can use the audio link on the Pearl Diving Show page to record a message of up to three minutes. If you'd like to record it offline and email it to me, please write to me first as I'm on dial-up and I need to make some arrangements to receive even a small audio file, but I'm willing to do that if you're willing to share your knitting madeline with me. As always, information and links can be found in the show notes at www.pearldiving.com. That's P-U-R-L, diving. Comments or suggestions can be left in the show notes or emailed to pearldiving at pearldiving.com via the link in the sidebar. To close today's episode, another piece of Marais' music performed by magnitude artist Ralph Rousseau Mellenbrook's The Sonnerie de Saint-Geviève-du-Mont de Paris.
Mm-hmm.